You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. Questions. Like we all ask questions every single day throughout our entire life. So we ask, we ask small questions in our life. Like, you know, what am I going to wear today? Uh, what am I going to do today? What am I going to eat today? Which is one of the most frustrating questions. I get tired of answering what I'm going to eat next. Uh, there's bigger questions that we all have. Like, well, where am I going to go to school? What am I going to do for a living? Where am I going to live? Uh, there are existential questions. Why do we exist? Why is the universe here? What's my purpose? I wonder if you have any questions that keep coming in your mind over and over and over as God keeps bringing it up. So all those questions pale in comparison to the most important question of life. Who is Jesus? Who is this man? If you believe that Jesus is God in human form, that he came to this world, the Savior, the Lord, it changes everything. It affects the existential questions. It affects everything. None of the smallest questions what you'll do today. And so here's my question for you. How would you answer this question? Who is this man? Who is Jesus? Like maybe you say he's a moral guy, a great teacher, someone who founded a religion. Maybe give the more Christian answers. Uh, so he's, he's the son of God. He is the savior. He is the Lord. If you are a Christian, you give the Christian answers. I, I think it's fantastic. Do you actually believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is God Almighty. And you believe it so much, that belief has a connection with Jesus, a constant work. It is constantly changing your heart. He is at work molding you and shaping you and guiding you every day of your life because you believe it. What's at stake with this question? I'll give you a chapter to read. I'm not going to go there, but read Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, three huge implications of what you believe Jesus is, who you believe he is. Colossians 1 says that Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, lives inside of you. I have Jesus living in me, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit. And so the more I know Jesus, the more I know the God that's living inside of me. And the second thing, that more I believe he is who he says he is. That I'm partnered with him. He's changing and shaping and molding and healing me and you on the inside. Do you believe he is who he says he is? The other thing it is, if you believe that Jesus is God Almighty, you'll give him in all things the preeminence. You'll make him first in your life. This question, is, it's the most important question of life. Who is this man? Who is Jesus? And if you're not a Christian, our hopes in this brand new series is you're going to learn about Jesus, going to walk through one of the life stories, the gospel stories, the gospel of Mark, and that you yourself will surrender your life to the one who came to this world, God in human form, died on a cross, rose again. He loves you. He wants to be your savior and leader. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this time. I thank you for the privilege of coming together to celebrate you, to worship you, to learn about you. God, it is all it is all about you. And I pray the, as we, in this series, look to who you are through the gospel of Mark, studying you are, who you are over and over, 
that the power, the transformation of Colossians 1 becomes real to us. We sense you living inside of us, those who have Christ as Savior and the Holy Spirit. We see you constantly changing and molding us from the inside, shaping us more and more like you. We place you in the place of preeminence, the first place spot in our lives. And for those who don't know Christ, we love them. Thank thank you for bringing them and letting us join us. God, I pray you call them, give them the gift of faith, receiving you as Savior and Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, we're in a brand new series. And actually this series, through the Gospel of Mark, we're joining churches here in Kansas City and literally around the world, uh, as far away as Hong Kong and Singapore, taking these seven weeks up to and including Easter to study who Jesus is through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, To learn more about this initiative, you can go to 1kc.bible. 1kc.bible is an initiative that offers several ways for churches to partner. Grace Church chose to partner in two different areas. One, by going through the Gospel of Mark together with churches around the world. And the other is to complete a translation of the Bible for a Bibleist people group. And I I was told we were able to finish one of the Bible translations for the Pry language, P-R-A-I. It's a language with a people group of about 40,000 people living in Laos and Thailand. And so us and Westside Family Church finished a translation for Bible's people group, which is very, very exciting. Okay, so these churches throughout the world are taking different angles through Mark. Our take on the Gospel of Mark is we're going to be talking about who is this man? Who is Jesus? Who is he? He is the Son, He is the Lord, He is Christ, He is servant, He is heir, He is king, and He is risen. Those are our seven weeks of the series. I want to point out the last week of the series, Easter, we're going to be talking about He is risen. We're going to talk about the resurrection of Christ. Uh, I'm issuing a challenge to all of our church to pray to list five names of at least five people. I've written down eight, many of my neighbors around me. List five names and pray for these people over the course of these next several weeks leading in Easter, and then personally invite these people, those five people, five or more, invite them to join you in one of our in-person services, to join you online, to maybe come over your house and socially distance your apartment and watch, engage in the Easter service. We're going to be talking about the resurrection, the fact that He is risen. Give a chance to your friends and your family, those you, you know, those around you, to receive Christ as Savior. So please do that. This week, uh, in this series, in Who Is This Man? We're going to be walking, giving you a, a chance to get snapshots throughout, of Jesus' life throughout the Gospel of Mark, giving you, you know, a parable, an engagement with the Pharisees, moment from his start of his ministry all the way to his resurrection. And But we're going to be deep diving in those names of who is Jesus. This week, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God's beloved Son. We're going back to a moment at Jesus' baptism where He surrendered in baptism, and the voice of God came out of heaven. And God the Father said, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You know, think about your own dad. Wouldn't you long for your dad in some some moment just to tell you, even if you knew it, Son, my daughter, you are my beloved child. I'm so pleased with you. What's it mean for God the Father and Jesus to reveal themselves to us as Father and Son? Think of the very best father-son relationship, father-child relationship possible. That is God the Father and Jesus Christ. 
And the amazing thing, when you read Colossians 1, you have, the, you have God's beloved son living inside of you. And if you have Christ, that is how God views you. Do you believe that? If you're God's child, you are God's beloved child. So we're going to be walking, walking through this. Uh, Mark chapter 1, you can join Mark 1, verses 1 through 18. We're going to walk through the story of the gospel. And we're going to deep dive into one of his names. Jesus is God's beloved son. So let's walk through Mark 1, uh, verse 1 through 18 in three sections. Uh, this first section, who is this man? Who is Jesus? Is, is Mark 1, verses 1 to 8. We're going to see Jesus' story starts, the gospel of Mark, where God sent John the Baptist to prepare, uh, prepare people for Jesus. God sent John the Baptist to prepare people for Jesus. And it's kind of amazing. God did not send his son, it'd almost be a, too much of a surprise to this world. He wanted to prepare the people for the coming son of God. And you know this is true in people's lives. Years ago, before I became a Christian, God prepared me through life and trials and difficulties. If you're watching people around you, you can start to see the hand of God as he allows difficulties and trials and challenges. God is allowing life to prepare people for him. That's what happened 2,000 years ago. We see this here in verses 1 through 8, Mark 1, 1 through 8. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap. I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's walk through this preparation that God sent this messenger to prepare the world for the Son of God, God's beloved Son. If I look back here, verses 2 and 3 jump out to me because verse 2 comes from Malachi, verse 3 comes from Isaiah. Uh, God had sent a message both 400 years before Jesus and 700 years before Jesus that he would send a messenger to this world that would be off in the wilderness and say he's coming to prepare the way of God, the path of God in this world. What is the path of God? Right here. It's right in your heart. He came to prepare the hearts of people to be tender and humble and open for God. And John the Baptist was a bit of a wild man. He's eating locusts and wild honey. And I did go out recently. I couldn't find locusts. I actually bought crickets. They're out of Mexico. They I had chipotle flavored option. I didn't do that. I, could, I almost thought about eating some today. I did not. 
because the message on the Baptist was always a wild man. He got, I, I, by the way, I have your attention, don't I? So did John the Baptist. He was a wild man. And his preaching off in the wilderness, uh, when God started to prepare people's hearts, they clambered down as evidence that they were going to follow God and surrendered in baptism. Clothes on, no classes, no prep work. They came down in the water to show their surrender to God Almighty. They confessed their sins. I'm so sorry. I've been doing this and I've been doing that. And God was preparing a people for the Messiah. And if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and you're joining us, man, we are honored to have you here. Look in your life. Do you see the hand of God? He has been preparing you preparing you that this world does not have the things you need. He has what you need. Maybe this is the week you'd receive him as Savior. All right. So John the Baptist came to prepare the world for Jesus. Man, their hearts are ready. Revival's going on. Who is this man? Who is Jesus? Second part of the story, as we continue reading in verses 9 through 13, we see how God led Jesus through submission through submission and temptation. God led Jesus through submission and temptation. So, so for 30 years, Jesus has been living a normal life, just like you, just like me. Um, and he's about to do something great in his life, but not before he leads him to submit. Not before. He leads him through a season of incredible temptation to sin. And that is absolutely what happens in our lives as well. God never does anything great in our lives until we lay down our lives in submission. We submit ourselves, put ourselves under Him. He also leads us through seasons of temptation to see victory over that, to do greater things in our life. And here's the great news. If you have God's beloved Son living inside you, you have the one who knows how to submit. You may not like the word submit. You may avoid the word submit, but you have the man who submits the chief of submission, Jesus Christ, living inside you and the one who can navigate temptation and lead you out of that sinful lifestyle. Here's the story here in verse verse 9 through 13. It says, It came to pass, uh, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately, Coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Immediately, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts. And the angels ministered to him. Okay, a few things about this story as I jump through here. I'm I just struck by the incredible submission of Jesus Christ. It takes submission to be baptized. I mean, you're allowing somebody else, baptized literally means, the word baptism literally means immersed. You're allowing someone to immerse you under water, <laughs> bring you up out of the water, just like Jesus at the Jordan River. And that man, John had said, he's not even worthy to stoop down and unlatch his sandals. He's letting that guy baptize him. Jesus submitted. There was no greatness in Jesus' life without incredible submission. And then in this moment, that's where he has this voice, you are my beloved son 
in whom I'm well pleased. And God told him that. We'll revisit that in a moment. Before he did anything miraculous or supernatural. And then he's driven out in the wilderness and immediately for 40 days, he's tempted by Satan in the wilderness, tempted with sin. And I'm always encouraged when I read this, that it is not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted in everything like we are, yet without sin. So you, you find yourself, that first thought, that first thought, uh, maybe, maybe I could do this or should do this, that's simply a temptation. That is not sin. You don't beat yourself up for a temptation. And Jesus even shows us in Luke 4 and Matthew 4 how you can navigate temptation with God and his word and his promises and see God lead you to a holy, a separate, different lifestyle. Like there's hope in him. There's hope in him. You have, if you have Christ in you, Colossians 1, you have the spirit of Christ, Christ himself living inside you. You have God's power to submit living inside you. And there's a difficult situation you don't want to submit these days. Leaning into his power, his strength, letting him lead you. Absolutely. You have the ability because Jesus is doing it. The power to submit and resist temptation. Second part of the story. Okay, so who is this man? Who is Jesus? I mean, John the Baptist sent to prepare his way, prepare hearts of people, and then he led them to a season of submission and temptation. And then, now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And... As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Okay, so verse 14 says that John was thrown in prison. This is John the Baptist. The political and religious leaders had frankly gotten sick and tired of this re- uh, revival going on without their input, their control. They threw him in jail. That was a bad idea because Jesus, the one he'd been preparing for, started preaching. And I love Jesus' message because it's the opposite of religion. Religion tells you you need to turn and try harder, turn and do better. That's not what the Bible says. That's not the good news of Jesus. Jesus' message, he says, repent, which means to turn, and believe in the gospel. See, religion tells you to try harder. That will never be good enough. You'll never try hard enough. You'll never do good enough. Religion keeps you in bondage and failure all the time. You know what God does? Here's the good news. Jesus came to this world. God loves you so much. It's the message that you believe in. And that message, the gospel, the good news, changes your heart from the inside out. And then God moves through you to do great things. Repent and believe. That's our challenge. Do you believe the truth about God? He is who he says he is. We are who God says we are. And he goes on. I still love how Jesus calls his apostles. He goes right up at work. It reminds me of like, you know, where do you find disciples? Our vision at Grace is to help everyone become an outward focused follower of Jesus. We're here to make disciples. You're here called to make disciples. I'm here called to make disciples. If you're a believer in Christ, where do you find your disciples? At school, at work in the neighborhood, on the team, in the band. 
Where did Jesus find his disciples? They were working a job. He walked right at the, up to them. They were fit, tossing their nets. He talked to them about spiritual things, don't miss this, while they were at work. And God will use you as you engage in spiritual conversations at school and at work and on the team to draw people to him. One final thing. We read the word immediately, I think three times in this section. That is the key word throughout the gospel of Mark, the word immediately. Immediately this happens. And Mark says, well, immediately that happens. And when does God want you to follow him? Immediately. Not later now. Now, now. Immediately now. Okay, that's the story. Uh, We see the introduction Mark gives to the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. Let's go back to this verse 11 now. Verse 11 says this. Then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So God the Father, even though Jesus knew that God loved him, God the Father personally told him, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. There's also, uh, he told him publicly, like he told him not, not only did I say I love you, but I'm okay with others hearing this. And I'm reminded also of the power of God moving in our lives to affirm God's love to people. I, I know you know this. When's the last time you told somebody, I love you. I love you. I'm so pleased with you. So Jesus is God's beloved son. That's what God reveals here in Mark chapter one. There's three huge implications for Jesus. The same implications for us as well. So what are the implications of God having Jesus as his beloved son? Here's the first one. You are my beloved son implies connection. It implies connection. God was telling Jesus, we are connected. You're my son. See, Jesus, you're more than a carpenter. You're more than a prophet. You're more than my servant. You're my son. I want you to think of the closest father-son relationship you can think of. Where that father knows and loves the son. And that son knows and loves that father. I mean, they are close. That is the connection God the Father and Jesus Christ has. It's the mystery of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, being one being, three eternal persons so connected. I think about my own kids. I have a son, I have two daughters, and I'm connected with them, but I long for greater connection. I think about my own dad. I'm connected with him. I love him. I know he loves me, but I long for greater connection. When God tells his son, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's showing the world that there is a connection between God and Jesus that is unbreakable and intimate and real. He is connected. They're connected. If you ask Jesus, hey, who is God to you? You know, Jesus would say, he's my dad. He's my dad. We're connected. You are my beloved son implies connection. It also implies reflection. That's the second huge implication for me. It implies reflection. How Jesus Christ is a perfect reflection of the invisible God. That's one of the amazing things that we don't know who God is. God is invisible. How do you know who God is? Well, you can read the scriptures as he reveals his feelings, his values, his kingdom, his will. We learn about that. We also learn about God by looking at Jesus. Jesus is the perfect reflection 
of the invisible God. How do you know what God, Jesus, or how do you know what God loves? Well, what does Jesus love? The people he loves. What makes God angry? Well, what made Jesus angry? We'll see that later here in, uh, in the Gospel of Mark. What brings joy to Jesus or God? Well, what brought joy to, to Jesus? What did Jesus spend no time doing? Yeah, what does God spend no time on and moves forward? What is God's plan? Well, what was Jesus' plan in this world? If you want to learn about who God is, Jesus is the perfect reflection of his dad. You heard the phrase, well, like, like father, like son. Absolutely. Like the father, like the son. Jesus is the perfect reflection of God. I mean, how do you know who God is? Well, we study Jesus. That's why we're in the Gospel of Mark, to learn about who the invisible God is. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Implies connection with God. Jesus and God implies perfect reflection to learn who he is. You can learn about the invisible God through it by looking at Jesus. It also implies inheritance. Implies inheritance. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He's kind of communicating, hey, you're my son. Sons get the inheritance. Imagine being the person who inherits, like one of the wealthiest people in the world. Imagine you're Elon Musk's child. You're Bill and Melinda Gates' child. <laughs> You're some, some of the richest Warren Buffett's child in this world. Jeff Bezos' child. And then imagine everything they have, all the riches, all the influence, all of it, all their, everything is yours. When God said to his son, you are my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. He was affirming, you inherit everything I have. Jesus gets the un ownership of the universe. Control over everything, all the glory, all the credit, all the power, all the attention. You are my beloved son. God the Father in that moment, before Jesus did anything supernatural, anything miraculous, was saying that you and I are connected. You and I, you're a perfect reflection of me. People learn about me by looking at you. You're going to inherit everything that I'm going to inherit. How does this apply to our lives? Now, if you're, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm going to encourage you, our challenge as believers is to believe. To believe that God calls Jesus his beloved son. Do you believe that Jesus is fully God, the son of God, 100% God, and God's beloved son. There are people I know in life that battle with that thought, wonder about the deity of Christ. They wonder about, is he early God's son? And consequently, their life, they scuffle along in life. God, God's son, his beloved son is Jesus. And I ask you, do you really believe it? To your core, you believe it. Life-changing, believe it. And realize, if you believe that, Colossians 1 says, you have the Holy Spirit of God. Christ is living inside you. God's beloved Son lives inside you. And if you have Christ as Savior, that's how He views you. Connection. You have the same connection to God the Father that Jesus has. Because of the Holy Spirit. No matter if you feel far away from God or close to God, you are connected. You are God's beloved child. You're God's child. You're loved. 
connection. And when you believe the truth about Jesus, He is God's beloved Son, it starts to change you from the inside out. Colossians 1.28, He perfects you, He molds you, He shapes you from the inside out. Our challenge is to believe the truth that Jesus is God's beloved Son. And we have the same connection. And guess what? Others, we reflect God also. Others learn about the invisible God by looking at our lives. Just like with Jesus. They look at our lives and they go, oh, that's who God is. Like father, like son, like father, like daughter. I can see that. One of these days we receive all the inheritance. My challenge to you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, is you really believe that God is who he says he is. Jesus is God's beloved son. And if you have Christ, you are God's beloved child too. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you'd like to receive him, this is the most important moment of life. You can become God's beloved child, God's child, God's love child, the child, the son or daughter that he's adopted into his family. Give your life to him right now. Man, what great news is it that we can be God's beloved children? The work of Jesus inside of us is that we can be like Him. If you want to become a follower of Jesus today, would you do that right now? Right wherever you're sitting, submit your life to Him and give everything over to Him. If you do that, would you please text the number on the screen and say, Jesus, that way we can connect with you and, and walk with you and learn some of your story too. And the truth is that we are God's beloved children. Would we go out into the world today knowing who we are, knowing that Christ lives within us and that because of that, we are changed people. Hey, we love you guys so much. Thanks for joining us this weekend and we hope to see you guys soon. You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com.